pray again. Father, we thank you for your love. Thank you for your presence by the Holy Spirit. Thank you for your kindness, your patience, your generosity. Thank you for your revelation. Help us, Lord, to be good stewards of what you reveal. We are thankful to you, and we bless you for all things that you've given to us, things we recognize as well as those things that we do not. Lord, we are grateful most of all for your fellowship, through your Son and the Holy Spirit. We pray that what you would want from us, Lord, you would receive, and we'd offer it gladly with joy for the privilege it is to be your servants and sons and daughters. In the name of your Son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, uh, it's interesting, these lights, they're kind of like orbs, aren't they? Except they're kind of fixed and they don't do as much as the real thing. But uh, I pray the Spirit of God be among us and help us to hear, to receive. I'm, uh, I'm really overwhelmed. I've been overwhelmed for like, in two, three weeks. Uh, it's, it's a good thing. The Lord has been speaking to me very much about many, many things. And so that's it's great, but sometimes you, you um, when you get a lot, it takes a lot of times to digest, and I'm a lot uh, not digested yet. So you kind of catch me. You know, like I, I said to journal, could we just do this thing where you could command the, the world to stop for a year and then I kind of catch up, and then, okay, now I'll continue again. And uh, that's, how I, that's how I kind of feel. I, it's, it's, a, it's a privilege, and it's an honor to hear the voice of the Lord. It's also that, that sense of what we talked about, that the bar, you know, which is, which is uh, both this power and the strength that leads you to do things you wouldn't do otherwise. Um, it's uh, this, uh, and it's also a weight, and it's also something that can crush you. So it's like both those things. It's a very interesting word. The word of the Lord in the, in the Hebrew sometimes is called debar. And that's, so there's that strength and there's also that crushing. So that's what's going on with me, which is good. And I'm really grateful for it. Why I tell you that is because um, that's just what's going on with me. And... Um, I always take the time that we have together very seriously when I'm up here and share the word of the Lord. I really want to share God's word. And so as you, uh, there are, and I want to be faithful to him. I want to be responsible um, to him. And uh, there's so much, and I really appreciate all the things that went on this morning as we were coming before the Lord. I'll, I'll just begin. That was... That was for my sake. Thank you for listening to me. <clears throat> We've said this many times before, and it's so important that to hold on to about the intensity, the nearness, the power of God's love. God loves us so much that if we, if we saw it, that we'd understand the only response appropriate is a uncompromised love in return. It's a, a, a surrender in return. And this love, this love actually in return is what we could call holiness. And uh, there are things that God wants to do in among his people everywhere. And he wants us to, to know his love. And he wants us to enter into this love so that it will affect a change. And uh, that's what revival is. It's seeing the love of God and then returning that love for what it is. But there are things that operate. There are schemes, or as it says in the scripture, there are methods of the evil one that actually infiltrate, that kind of neutralize and numb God's people so that the reality of his love, the depth of his love, is blunted or it's muddied or fogged up. So we can't quite perceive it 
for what it is. You know what I'm saying? So this God loves us so much that, uh, that it should upend us all the time. We should be able to live in that. The things that want to distract us, we have a, uh, an ad- more than adequate power within us through the revelation of love to push it aside, but we don't. But this love is real, regardless of how much we might perceive it or what kind of a response that we might give to his love. But I want to say something about his love first. And then I want to talk about what this love is. And then I want to talk about how to deal with these things that neutralize us. See, this, this series is about repenting in revival. And, and there has to be this turning into this fire in order for us to experience his flame in us. So one of the things that we have to make really clear, we have to really understand, is that God has, has given himself so magnificently, so powerfully, so unconditionally, without reserve, that it's, it's just not understandable. To us, it would be irrational. If we, really, if, we, if we get in close enough to the mystery and we moved out of a, just a concept or a truth, God loves you so much that he gave his only begotten son, but if you plumb the depth, why would he do that? If you ask, why would he do that? We don't ask that question because we think, well, there's no answer. And there is no full answer, but there's some answer. And what you'll end up with is, I don't know. But it's still good to do, the, it's still good to do it. You know what I'm saying? It's good to think, now I want to know the answer to this question. And then you'll just get a deeper revelation of why you don't know and will never know. That's, that's the nature of his love. But there's got to be something inside of us that would want to plumb the depths. I think there are images of scripture that are these, these little bits of mystery that reveal how, how deep... The Lord loves us. When Jesus, as you remember, was in Gethsemane right before his crucifixion, when the test supreme was on, he praised his father. And you remember the prayer, his father. He says, if you're willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but your will be done. Remove this cup from me, not my will, but your will be done. So can you imagine... Can you imagine the father hearing that prayer from his son? Father, if there's a way, let this happen. And Jesus is speaking out of his humanity, because in his humanity he does not know all things. And so he cries out to the father, and his father gives him a revelation. He said, I believe that in the sense of the revelation, his father, son, I wish there were another way. It's not like, for you, son, I'll make another way. There just is not another way. But how would you like to deliver that word to your son? How would you like your son to come to you and say, Dad, if I do this, I'll die. Not only will I die, but I will suffer a horrendous death. Not only that, do you realize that I will experience such a flood of evil flowing over me that I do not deserve? Is there, Dad, is there something that you can do about that? Can you stop that? Can you please stop that? I don't want that. I love you, Dad. I don't want to have this happen. So we just kind of take it like, well, these are Proposition 1, Proposition 2, you know, and then he had to die on the cross, and of course for us, it's like, you know, there's, there's an interplay of, of, of deep love here, even before the, with the Father and the Son. 
The Father knows there's no other answer. There is no other answer. So what does that tell us? We should say, why, why? Why is there no other answer? Because your sin and my sin is so stinking rotten. It is so selfish. It's very core. It is so rebellious that we would crucify the Lord of glory and not have any good reason. And not crucify him just like Pilate would, but crucify him like the crowds would. They do nothing. Realizing doing nothing crucifies people. The negligence, the indifference is cold. It's very cold. And you don't have to be putting your fist in the air and saying, I hate you, I want to see you dead. It could be just like, I don't know. That means I really don't care that much. I'm busy as it is. Got a lot of things. Got my own problems. That, before the Lord of glory, is, is evil. And, and this is going on again and again now. And the, Lord loved, and the Lord knew that when he would give the spirit to his church, in many ways it would happen again. The Lord would join himself to his people with great love and adorn them with the best. Draw close to them, so close to them that he would actually live within them and walk among them. Make his home with them. You know why? So there'd be the chance for the greatest amount of intimacy possible. But we have to understand this. Intimacy always has a flip side. And the most profound rejection possible. That's the way love is. Always has been, always will be. So Jesus prays to his father, and his father, I'd like to say, is weeping. But it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not deep enough of an analogy. I've seen a lot of people weep for things like, oh my goodness, my brand new car. Now it's an accident, my dad. You know, I'm seeing people weep a lot for a lot of things. So weeping isn't necessarily, there's a turning in the soul of God, if I can put it that way, and it's only a metaphor. I know that when he was on the cross, the whole earth had to shake. Whole earth had to shake. There had to be something cosmically done in the heavens to reflect what was done on the cross. I mean, this is the love and the passion of God. This is like, what is going on? The world doesn't know what's going on. This love is too much. The reason that Satan could never stop this whole thing is that he cannot comprehend this sort of love. He can't comprehend this sort of selflessness. He doesn't have a clue. You know, darkness cannot understand everything. And people think if you're intelligent, you'll know everything. That's not true. These things were hidden from the evil one because he had no comprehension of love, especially this kind of love. And people didn't either, not this kind of love. And this love is just given to you and to me entirely free. Very generous love. Wide open, vulnerable, intimate. But it doesn't mean it's cheap. It's the most precious thing. There's nothing more precious than the Son of Man on the cross, one drop of his blood, Nothing more precious than that, right? Nothing. Nothing more precious. Because in that, we see, we see the love poured out for us. So on the cross, you know this, again, Jesus is on the cross and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some people have misunderstood that passage and I've heard it sung wrong. I've heard it taught wrong. It does not mean that the Father just had to turn away. It's not true. The Father asked him to go to the cross, and then he turns away from him for his obedience. It's just not true. No, the forsaking that God did of him was that he let his son die. Death was the forsaking. The death that the Father experienced in his heart when the son gave up his life. Now, in fact, Jesus even says, I will not ask the father 
I won't ask the Father to stop this from happening, that the, the Father and the Son may be together glorified. What does glorified mean? That God might be revealed for who he is. He is the God who does this sort of thing for you and for me. And when he was praying, when he was praying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was the same reason why he said to John the Baptist, when he says, you must baptize me, he says, no, no, I must be baptized by you. He says, no, let this happen, that we might fulfill all righteousness. It's Jesus on the cross saying our prayer, because indeed we are forsaken, because we have forsaken him. The same reason he was baptized on our behalf is the same reason that he's crucified on our behalf. And it was love both times. Love both times, brothers and sisters. Love astounding, love stunning, love incomprehensible. Love that you and I can't ever understand, but can only experience. But we can never, never fully understand it. And you don't have to understand it. Gratefully, I mean, because it's not possible. But when Jesus was on the cross, he made it really clear that he's identifying with us all the time, all the time. So yes, he will take on the sin of the world. He'll take on your sin, my sin, of anyone who's ever been born. He'll take on the sin of Adam and, and the cascading ripple that came from his rebellion, him and Eve's rebellion, that now caused corruption to go out through all the cosmos. He'll take all that on because he loves. Because I don't want that to happen. I don't want that separation. I don't want that decay. And there's only one way. It must be this Un impossible to understand sacrifice of love that only God can give. And it's if, I think I can say this, though it's metaphorical, but there's a truth in it that's a deep truth. It's if heaven itself must be emptied to bring about this redemption. This is not loose change on the cross. This is the Son. This is the Father's beloved Son for you and for me. Love poured out. What happens, brothers and sisters, is, is myself included, because my culture forms me, but, I, but I, I have a responsibility. It's not like I'm just a dupe. Someone hypnotized me. I have no will. No, no, I have responsibility. But I want to say, we have trivialized the love of God. How have we trivialized the love of God? And how have we made it small, you know, trivial, insignificant? Someone said, I'd never make the God's love insignificant or trivial. Never, ever. No, no, I'm not talking about words. I'm talking about, I'm talking about a life response that says we get it. If the life response doesn't really look that much different from those who don't get it and those who say they get it. Something has been changed. We have redefined things. It destroys us. And it hurts the Father. It hurts him deeply. And it hurts the son who gave his life for us. The core of the trivialization of God's love, I'll tell you why. Again, I want you to understand, I'm, even though I'm elevated here, I'm not really elevated. I'm talking with you and among you. And what I'm saying is, you know, I believe, I, 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 I'm, you know what I'm seeking? Fellow repenters. That's what I'm seeking. I want to repent into this. I'm not saying you need to repent. I want to re I want to repent into this. And I don't want to do it alone. I think that's what the church is supposed to be about. And what, what am I saying? 
Well, we can talk about God's love, and I can say many, many amazing things. And I think I could maybe even cause you to tear up. And it would be sincere. I mean, you'd, you'd, it's not like you're over-emotional. I mean, it's just astounding. But the trivialization comes in this area. When we think that God loves on us, as opposed to understand that the nature of his love is for him to share himself with us. See what I'm saying? Maybe not. So Jesus goes to the cross and dies for our sins. That's love for us. And we think God loved me so much that he died on the cross. So he, without understanding all its implications, we could, we could use this, for, we could use that example, and we could say, well, he loved on me. You know, he did something for love, for me. He did an act of love for me. See, that's what I'm saying, love on. But what we're not understanding is, as when he was on the cross, the veil split in two. That was also an image that there's no longer a barrier between him and the Father. He died on the cross so that there'd be this intimacy and the sharing of life together. So that the love that the Father would have with the Son and the Holy Spirit, the love with God himself, God kind of love, that community, that communion that each person would have with each other, sharing all that they are. He's saying, I'm inviting you from love to enter into this fellowship of love. That's different. Yes, it's an act of love, but the act of love is to beget a love that draws us into love itself. So that we can pray the prayer that Jesus prays all the time. Father, not my will, but your will be done. Not my will, not my preferences, not what is comfortable for me. I'm not living for what's comfortable for me. Not even my peace of mind, Lord. You can mess up my mind. Do you know, the Lord? if you're found the Lord, he will mess up your mind again and again. You will come to this place of confusion and you'll think, I don't know what to do. And the Lord says, are you going to give up? Say, Lord, I love you too much. I will not give up. So it's like the same test, right, that Jesus had with his disciples in Capernaum, which was... He said, unless you eat my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no part of me. And, you know, they didn't understand fully what he was saying. A lot of people thought they got it, and they left him because they were totally disgusted by that image. Peter didn't know, but he said, I just know you. I don't understand, but I know you. See, the relationship with the Lord is conditioned on knowing him not having all understanding. Many times our relationship with the Lord is conditioned on our understanding. God, why would you do this to me? I want an answer. This hurts. And if we don't get an answer, sometimes people's relationship was not based on his love and an invitation into fellowship but was primarily a loved-on thing. Like, thanks for the jewelry. Thanks for the dinner. Thanks for protecting. Thanks for provision. Now, what's going on here now? I'm suffering. Where's the love now, God? Love is wide open. It's an invitation to share in the love of the cross. To share in a love that goes beyond understanding. A love that's so great. Listen, it's so great. Suffering isn't a big deal. But we trivialize God's love when we don't understand that part of it. And we think, well, God, he couldn't be loving and let this happen to me. What? What happened to you? That he's inviting you to, into a life shared with him? Why, why is that not a good thing? Well, I didn't know this was going to be a part of it. Well, it's love. His love is so great. If we get it, we're just saying, I'm helpless. <laughs> Where else can I go? And it's not like, I'm helpless. Where can I go? Hey, that's not love. God has no love slaves 
But in our culture, because the way we've been taught about what we should get and what we should expect, even from God, when there is suffering, we think, well, that can't be God. And, and so where's God? And someone over here would say, I'll tell you where God is. Let me tell you about how good he is. Oh, thank you, thank you. Need to hear that? Good, good. Okay, I'm feeling better now. You've just, you've just given me an emotion, chiropractical you know, adjustments, and now I'm still, I'm still feeling good now. I'm feeling good. I'm back in it. Okay, I'm back in the stream. No, you're not. You left the road. You left the real deal. Because when we talk about the love of God, if we're seeing it right, brothers and sisters, it should be, it, we should begin to just change places with him, and we should begin to, to move so that really, really it isn't about us at all anymore. If it is about us, we cannot come close to see the love of God. Because there's, there's, there's aspects of this love, of this power, that is only shared with those who are willing to identify with him in these places of suffering. Never get it through going through a seminar or reading a book about God's love or doing a Bible study. But when the suffering comes, if we say, no, no, wow, don't do We've misunderstood. We've trivialized the love of God. So you mean, so, God, so God's son, sinless, can suffer for my sin, which I deserve death, but I can't choose to respond to his love with the power that he gives me by the Holy Spirit and reflect who he is to the earth? We have prayed for faith. God likes that prayer and he wants to answer that prayer. But you really don't get that prayer answered unless you really need to have it answered. In other words, it's not like an option. It's like you're up to the place where it's like you're, you're on empty. I can't do this anymore, you know. So that's a crossroad. You say, but Lord, you can't. And then the Lord gives you strength and insight and another measure of intimacy that you feel like you're so privileged that you could have suffered for that experience. Privileged. See, we trivialize the love of God because we do not consider it being so loved as an honor. We think it's necessary because I'll go to hell if I don't, but it's not. This is an honor, this invitation that the Lord gives to us. So we look at these passages, and I'll look at them again only briefly, but in Luke 9, 61, which I talked about last time we were together, numbers of these people are following along with Jesus, loving it, loving the miracles, loving the words. The wisdom is just astounding. No man ever spoke like this before. No one ever spoke with this authority before. I've never seen demons do that. You know, Pharisees, they, they have a long, prolonged deal to get a demon out. Sometimes he just says, out, and they're out. Wow, this is just, I just got to keep, this is, this is fascinating. So there's this draw. And so one of them says, I will follow you, Lord. Verse 61, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, no one after putting his hand, excuse me, I don't want to do that one first. No, 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 don't want to do that first. I want to do 9.59. 9.59, Luke 9.59. I ran ahead of myself, flipped too quick. So Luke 9.59. And Jesus said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Now, come on. 
let's, let's hold on to this, honestly. You were there, <laughs> so to speak. There used to be, I don't know, a long time ago, I saw this in school, this real old program. Walter Cronkite had this thing. I don't know if some of you older people under, remember that. But I don't know if you can get any more. But he would do this thing like newscasters would go in a moment in history, and he'd take a microphone, and he'd say, so, so what's going on right now? So he talked about the first one in space, and, and the astronaut would talk, and it'd be all actors, and it's kind of fun. Okay, and, the, and actually, they did one on the crucifixion, which, is quite, which actually was done quite well. But in any case, the point is that you are there. What they're trying to say is, you know what? Don't look at this as a head thing. Understand, be there. Be there with me. And so here's the thing. The man says to Jesus, I will follow you. That's his intention. Lord, but perverse, just let me go and do this thing with my dad. And so now what, what would you think? Wouldn't you think, if you didn't know it was in Scripture and you said, I know this is a big mind experiment here, but if you didn't know it was in Scripture, the Jesus that you think is Jesus and you were telling a story, I know this one guy who wanted to follow Jesus, and uh, Jesus, uh, this man had to bury his father, but then he just wanted to serve the Lord all the rest of his life. And what do you think Jesus' response was? I think most people say he just hugged that guy, he just loved on that guy, that you're going to follow me? Sure, go ahead and bury, bury your father, and come on back, and let's, you know, let's, let's preach the word of God together. Come on now, don't you think that's what, that's certainly what the culture would tell you to think. The same thing with the first one, which said, I will follow you wherever you go. And he says, well, you know, foxes have holes. I have to put their head in, in, in birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place. And he's like, Jesus, he just told you he's willing to follow you wherever you go. Come on, lay off. Wouldn't you think that? You would think that. You would think that. You would think that. Come on. I would think that. That's normal. We are so out of this because we hear all these passages, but we do not enter into them. And it does us great harm of soul. It loses the edge of the sword. It's all rubber instead of sharp to pierce us. Oh my God, I couldn't do that. Lord, have mercy on me. Why are you asking this of me? And then we would say, the Spirit of God would speak to us and say, because he's the Son of God, that's why. <laughs> he's God in the flesh. He loves you. He is going to die for you. He's going to open up the fellowship of eternity for you. He is not holding back at all. And this is not hard word. This is a privilege and honor, a wide open door to be with the king of glory. This is not just a prophet. How many times have you heard this story? You know, okay, let me prove Jesus is really who he is. Okay, is he, is he really the son of God? Or was he a liar? Or was he a lunatic? Or was it just a man? Let's forget that. Let's just show them who Jesus is. He's the Son of God. Look at my response. See me not hold back. See me not understand. Why can't I bury my dad? I don't know, but he tells me to come. And I know what this plow thing means, but I'm going to ask him, and he's going to tell me, because I am not going to stand there and let him walk by. can't walk by. No way. No way. And it's kind of like the guy who didn't follow Jesus because that fox and bird nest word really got to him. He said, it's okay. You know what? We'll just have a little meeting of, of people who want to follow his teachings. Okay? We'll set up some chairs here under this tree. And you know, I remember some of the things he taught when I was walking with him. And I'll just teach you that. I say, yeah, I'm for that. When's that going to be? Every Sunday morning. There's no alternative. It's everything or nothing. When you understand the love, this is not a God who's strict. 
This is a God who's love, so loving. In our minds, we think that anyone that would ask us to do something other than what we want to do, he must be a hard man. Where do we get this? From the enemy. The enemy has sowed this in us. Let it be known, no unbeliever is going to hear our message if we're all under a tree telling stories about Jesus once in a while, even shouting praises. He's gone. He was a dot. Now he's not even a dot on the horizon anymore. And we can't say, that's okay. That's okay. We'll, we'll, we'll do what we can do. No, you can't do what you can do. You can do nothing. Just have to give it all. Isn't that right? Nothing else makes sense. Those words are so powerful. Oh, come on. They're powerful. They should make us lose sleep at night. If we understood the gravity of the word. You got to pick up your cross and follow me. What is that about? I don't know. It means you got to give your life to the Lord. No, it doesn't. It means you don't have a life anymore. You have no life for yourself anymore. And you know what? That's what love does. You just love him so much that you forgot about your life. No, again, it's not a hard word in a way. It's only hard if we, don't, if we forgot the love piece, which is everything. We can't forget the love part. Nothing makes sense without the love part. Nothing. But I'm not talking about love on me. I'm talking about love shared with the Trinity and all those who've received the welcome into this holy place. You want revival? Begin there. You got to begin there. And we can't look around. And in our time, in our culture, we look around to know what we're supposed to do with Jesus. Well, what are you doing? Well, I'm under this palm tree. He's this guy, he's walked with Jesus, saw all these miracles. He's telling us about it. Okay, well, what are you doing with Jesus? He says, well, uh, I'm hoping to catch up to him after the funeral. I don't know where he really is, but I'd be glad to talk to you about it because I'm just kind of confused. Well, what happened anyway? There shouldn't even be dialogue. It should be like, I don't care what they're doing. There he is, and that's where I'm going. You know, there's people who deal with fear because they take too many interviews from others about what they should do for Jesus. Instead of just looking at his word and taking it literally. And enjoying an amazing life with, the most, with this God who's willing to tell you secrets. Because you know why, don't you? He's preparing you. See, Jesus acts like this life isn't the only deal. <laughs> he acts like this is, this is the womb experience for many, for many of us. He wants to make sure that the gestation is full. You come out ready. Not premature. It might even risk our very life. But if we come out and that we're ready. This life is a training ground. We are in training. Brothers and sisters, most people do not know the gravity of the spiritual warfare on the earth. For even this point around the love of God. Many don't really understand this love of God because, because the nature of the spiritual warfare that's gone on. And I'd like, to, uh, I'd like to give an illustration from Scripture about that. This is in Numbers 21, verse 4. This is, uh, as you may remember, this is the Hebrews, they uh, were set free from the maniacal and demonically possessed Pharaoh and all the hordes of gods and the slavery and the tyranny 
there. They've been set free by divine intervention. They miraculously crossed the Red Sea. And, and now, you know, they, they have numbers of tests along the way, but I want to point to one. Because this one is to our benefit, like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11. These stories are for our current benefit. Or 1 Corinthians 10, rather. That, um, so this is what's happening. So they're, they are walking in the desert. So verse 4 of chapter 21. Then they set out from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the people became impatient because of the journey. They were getting ticked off. They were starting to groan. Oh, man, how, how long? So this is what happens. The people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? What's the point? Is your point to kill us? For there's no food and no water, and we load this miserable food, which is the manna they're talking about. Can't take manna anymore. Too much. And so, okay, you just want to kill us. The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. That's the answer to their prayer request. That is their answer to their complaints. So what's going on? Is that these people thought they'd reach the promised land a lot sooner. So dust is in their nostrils. Well, I don't know how long they were there, but you know, after a while, and we know they were there for 40 years. And so it doesn't take 40 years to cross that desert into Canaan. It doesn't, it doesn't take 40 years. So you know, they are, they, because of their disobedience and their stubbornness, they're doing circles. They're following Moses, and they're following the Lord, and they're doing circles. Why? Why are, why are they doing circles? I, I told you why. Why? Because of their disobedience. They would not obey. That's too hard. I don't like that. I have another idea. So this is what they're doing. This is what they're doing year after year. Oh, look at that post over there. Oh, there's another one over here. Oh, that's interesting how this is padded out here. Wait a second. Haven't I seen that before? I saw that post before. Yeah. Wait a second. This is familiar. This is deja vu again. And there's that post again. Another post. Is, and this is a quote that was neat at first, but now I recognize it. And oh my goodness, there's that post the third time. How many times? How many times? How about 40 times? Oh man, this is, ter this is terrible. I am going in circles following God. No, you're not. You're going in circles because you are following your own path. This is my path. My path is a circle. God's path is forward. It will require faith. It will require trust. And you will need to know whom you're relying on. But instead of taking responsibility, they complain. They complain it's God's fault, it's Moses' fault. Because they just, they, just, they just can't take this anymore. It doesn't matter that they got food from heaven. That's old. It doesn't matter. Pillar of fire leads them. Okay, kind of neat, but I'm doing circles. Doesn't matter the cloud by day. Doesn't matter whatever other things that God would provide for them along the way. They got shoes, brothers and sisters, that never wear out. So I'm inconvenienced. Dust is in my nostrils. I'd like to farm. I can't farm. I got to keep moving, and I don't know, just in circles. See what I'm saying? So they, they, were, they thought they were freed, and now this is what's going on. 
when they think, I don't like Moses, I don't like him, I don't like him, he's bad, this is bad. And so God breaks into the monotony, and he says, how about snakes? Snakes are different. <laughs> how about some snakes that once they bite you, you feel like you're on fire? both perhaps by way of the venom or at least by way of the fever that by which you're afflicted. And it will dry you out and kill you. So they are killed by the hundreds and hundreds. God sent these snakes for a purpose. What was the purpose? Do you know what the purpose was? To kill them. He sent him to kill him. Come on. What do you mean kill? That doesn't sound like God. Sure. So why? Why? This was a holy trek. This wasn't their, like, moving from one standard of living to another. It will be better in the burbs in Canaan than it was back where Pharaoh ruled. This isn't like for me. This trip isn't for me. These miracles are not for me. These, these things are not all about me. It's like you are to be a holy people, a holy nation set apart to reflect the magnificence of God and who he is. And you complain and you show people that the God that you serve is a harsh taskmaster. And so you must grumble and you must complain and you must criticize those who are serving him. And you certainly criticize his walk. You don't like it. You don't like it. Enough is enough. And God is saying, that's not me. I can't, you are to be a light to the nations. This isn't just for you. It is for you. I love you, but it's not just for you. You think it's just for you. So then you think you have the right to complain. We always do that when you think it's about us. They, they missed. It was a holy trek. They were walking with God. It wasn't just angels that were with them. God himself was with them. Whoa! What a, you know, that's a mission trip, right? It's a mission trip that never ends. That's his mission trip. You always got to be on a mission trip that never ends. If you're on one that ends, you shouldn't have started that one. You should have got the one that never ends. Excuse me. <clears throat> so it's the same thing. Here we go. I mean, are we starting to understand this about the love of God? The love of God is fiery. It is beautiful. It is magnificent. And if you see it, you don't need to be cajoled. You don't need to be scared into it. You just like dive into it. It's so beautiful. But we've lost the sense of holy. And when you lose the sense of holy, you're not able to esteem what God has given to us in his son. The love becomes trivial, even though you're told stories and analogies that make you weep. It still isn't as magnificent as it's intended to be, because this God is not holy. This God is not infinite and omnipotent and, and knows all things. This is a God that's just there for us. And that, that distorts everything. And then we begin misunderstanding God. We ask questions that should never be asked because we didn't get the revelation at the beginning about who is this who's on the cross. Not a liar, not a lunatic, but God's son. So there's a story, you know, one last story, then I'm going to make an application for us. I mean, just briefly, it's, I'm just going to recount it. You know, Ananias and Sapphira, that whole thing. People like Barnabas are selling everything, putting it at the apostles' feet. And you know what? Uh, they're looking around and they're thinking, people think Barnabas is big stuff because of what he did. And they want to be recognized. They want to be recognized in that early church. So... <clears throat> But it's only because, it's only for appearance's sake. I mean, they want, they, they see people larger than they see God. 
always the problem. You're always going to get confused when you do that. So, so what happens, of course, is that <clears throat> Ananias says, you know, I sold this property for this much, and, uh, and he didn't. You know, it's just, he held back a part of it. He and Sapphira agreed they were going to go into that kind of thing, that deal. You know, we're going to pretend that we sold everything, and people are going to think how generous we are. And so remember Peter's response. He's like, well, what are you doing? The Spirit testified to him that you're, you're not lying to me. You're lying to the Holy Spirit. And you will be struck down where you stand. Whoa! Isn't that a bit much? Shouldn't you say, shouldn't Peter go up to him and said, Ananias, you know, I know the Lord told me what really went on. You, you didn't. You're keeping some of it back. I think you should rethink that. Don't you think, brother? And then we all think, yeah, he's just immature. He, you know, he needs to grow up a bit. Right? Wouldn't we do that? If somebody were now to do that? Especially if we knew that what he was going to enter into might, might mean something really, you know, bad for his spiritual growth. So, uh, but, but he doesn't do that. Flop. He goes down. Deacons drag him out. Act one. Act two. Same thing with his wife. Same story. Now, what do we do with that? They think, well, that God is mean. No, here's what the early church did. They were in awe about the holiness of God. And they gave themselves more fully, more fully to the kingdom and the church. That's the testimony. Why doesn't that happen among us? You know, that's a really scary question. Maybe the Holy Spirit's just not there to do that anymore. Because it's not that holy to begin with. I don't know. It's a good question, though. Well, I say, hey, you know, tongues didn't cease, right? <laughs> you know, raising up the dead, all oh, that didn't cease. Well, what about this? How come that ceased? I, don't believe, I believe in some places that doesn't cease. I don't know all the stories. But God is still holy. At least we can look from this scripture. Here is a revelation. Now, here we are again. You are there. My goodness, he died. He died. Why did he die? For just $1,000. I'm getting out of here. Are you saying that? I don't want to be in this place. Or, or would you say, just say, God is real. He is holy. Brothers and sisters, the repentance that we need into is we need into a repentance where we don't trivialize God. That's the point of these stories. And we understand we trivialize God. Here's a kind of like a little recap before I... I, I come to my uh, one application. We trivialize God when we, when we think it's about us and for us and around us, and we miss the idea, we miss the truth, that this is really invitation for a fellowship with God himself in this intimacy where we actually share in his life. Anytime where we re recalibrate things so that it fits our present lifestyle. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not comfortable where I'm at. This is part of how I'm full. I, I like this trouble, though. I'd feel really sad if I didn't have this problem. It shows something. It shows, like, hey, there's a promise out there. It, it, it's a promise. I want that promise. And I'll tell you, the greatest of joy is an abandoned life. Because it's God. It's not doing the right thing. There's no particular joy in that. It's God. You get God. That's a big deal. That's the only deal. So the people come back to Moses and they say, We have sinned because we have spoken against the Lord and you intercede with us. Excuse me, intercede with the Lord that he may remove the serpents from us. And Moses interceded for the people. 
And of course, he was instructed to erect what? Bronze serpent up in the, and, and when people would look at that serpent that was on a standard, they would be healed. And, and the Apostle John writes that Jesus spoke how that, that symbolized what he would do on the cross. When people would look to the cross, they would be healed. Brothers and sisters, we're going to need to look to the cross to get healed today. The message of the cross has healing for us today. I don't mean particularly just physical healing. That's not what I'm focusing on right now. I'm focusing on the healing of our minds. <laughs> People had fever there, you know. They weren't thinking right. What are you talking to Moses like that for? You're losing your mind. And so it was like, kind of like the Lord says, well, you're halfway, we'll put you all the way. How about a fever? And you know, the reason, the reason, brothers and sisters, that some of these magnificent things aren't treasured among us is because there's snakes among us. There's snakes probably in your house. I know they've been in my house. I'm talking about grumbling. Now, that doesn't seem like, oh, you know, a great revivalist talk, but I'm telling you, it dulls your soul to grumble. And you don't escape. We think that God only pays attention to the words we say in our prayer time. We don't understand that God is omnipotent. He's hearing it all. He's not saying, okay, uh, like you would say, a couple minutes and you're done. Okay, you're done. I got another appointment myself, so go ahead. You go ahead. It's not like that. It's like, God, I'm watching now. What you prayed, I'm watching now what you're living. It's always on. God's 24-7 hyphen eternity. And he's not also just in one place. He's everywhere. Okay, so what's your speech like at work? You know, what's your speech like when you are frustrated with something? Because you understand the point of frustration is when grumbling happens. At least that's when you're tempted to it. You don't have to. So <clears throat> Moses still intercedes for us in this passage, brothers and sisters. Don't complain. Don't complain. Don't ever complain. Don't ever complain. It's like, you know, whistling. I can't do that whistle, that kind of whistle, but do the little coronet thing, you know, with a kind of snake charmer. You're complaining, and you're going, and here comes the snakes. Here they come. And you want know you know to get bit? Okay, I'm becoming stupid now. I'm now thinking a small thing's a big thing. Oh, this is too much. Oh, how come I just keep going on? And then, uh, so there's anger. Oh, God, what are you doing here? When is this going to end? Uh, and, uh, uh, it's like, oh, oh, I'm so depressed. Why? You got venom all through you. That's why you're depressed. We think we can escape. I'm just, I'm just kind of letting off steam. You're not letting off steam. You don't. And then, and then, you know, a lot of kids, kids in your house, they play with snakes. Really, a lot of parents just let their kids, oh, this is boring. Yeah. Oh, church is boring. Yeah. You know, and then, okay, you know, they can do that thing in church, but they still got bites on them. Until you and I totally give ourselves to repent from grumbling, they'll still come. And why is grumbling so bad? It looks like we're just doing this Jesus thing for me. Yeah. It's just all about me. I do it because he makes me happy. I do it because I get forgiven of my sins. That's the point, right? No, fellowship is the point. Yeah, maybe later on. But I'm going to come out right now. No, no, from the beginning, it's about walking with him. <coughs> we are prone to complain just like those in the desert when we confuse what this call is about. And we think it's about God fulfilling my potential instead of understanding that I am following in the footsteps of the master. I I'm in his path to become like him. And it's all about him. I mean, I, I, I don't know how many times I've heard from people this can't be God. I know God. This isn't God. And you know why? Because they're suffering. That's, not, that's like a proof. Maybe you're walking with God. 
You only suffer 